Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm going to be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right. Don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple podcast as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Hi, this is Ruben Loftus-Cheek. This is William. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to yet another episode of the London is Blue podcast. Technically, this one is the last of this season, and here it is, August 9th. In the 2019-2020 season has finally wrapped up. Uh, And so what we're going to do today uh, is go over uh, a little bit of what's happened. Obviously, Bayern being the background to this episode. But as always, your host, Brandon, joined by Nick and Dan. Uh, Gentlemen, thank you for being back. But skipping over you quickly, going to our (laughs) guests, we have uh, Grant James on today. We're excited. First time guest. And in case you... Haven't been listening to our podcast. We usually quote at least one of his tweets per episode. So it'll be finally to, instead of talking about you, Grant, having you on. So thank you, sir, for for jumping on and joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. You guys have been uh, trying to invite me for a while and I haven't been able to to make it. So I'm really, really excited, especially with the season ending. It kind of works out well with the timing. That's perfect. Well, for those of you out there that are unfamiliar with Grant and his work, um, he is doing his UEFA A badges right now he's also doing his youth elite a as well so he's all about us being a student of the game um and and at the the top educational rung um he's formerly of ix cape town and pro zone he's a tactical writer which is probably where he's best known for uh and then obviously he's been clipping games and in-game analysis for six seasons he's been a consultant to an english premier league club the guy knows his stuff especially when it comes to like analysis and data-driven things and and just performance of these players so it'll be great um so again as we get into this one i think dan i'm going to pitch it to you to tee this one up because it might be a little bit different than what people are expecting well yeah typically we have a, a match review it's pretty standard we read a lineup we talk about the goals and in a 7-1 aggregate loss to <laughs> the best team in germany Maybe that's not the best way to approach it. So in lieu of the match review and the, you know, because we didn't have the Miracle Munich 2.0, we're going to go through a couple of topics today. We're going to review Chelsea's performance in the Champions League this season, kind of looking back at maybe how we've regressed a bit in Europe since that Champions League victory in the 2011-2012 season. Pull back the curtain a little bit on the defense, which has kind of been that focal point of concern for most supporters at the season. 
we have a very short window until we get back to the start of this next season. So we have a uh, talking with uh, with Grant about how Frank and Jody and the rest of the leadership team should look to get us ready for another campaign in a short time window. And then also start to look at where maybe the squad needs a bit of refreshing, particularly on the announcement today that William has officially confirmed he is leaving Chelsea for next season. He had a much more polished tweet. Pedro just kind of threw one out there. It's like, oh, yeah, guys, see ya. So we can't forget that Pedro is is headed out as well. But, yeah, it, those those two are official. Um, so I think we'll have probably more words on them later. But if nothing else, respect and appreciation for what those two uh, specifically have done for Chelsea over the last you know handful of seasons that they've been here. Um, before we do that, though, Dan, before we get into all of it, uh, we do have some iTunes reviews, and this is your responsibility to share the love for the people that have given us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Yeah, plenty of new five-star reviews. Even the one who said that they hated Brandon but left a five-star review. So it's really perfect appreciate review. Well done. the commitment. The commitment to leaving a five-star review, even if you hate Brandon. Quite wonderful. Pilaf, I hate it too. Tom Norwood, Jassa1804, Treehugger123, been on Twitter for a long time, recognize that name. Laceup159, Justing uh, Foyle, and then Gutenpa Tolete, all leaving five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. Super appreciate it. If you can do it right now and have done it before, that's something you should do. And the, those of you that have joined Patreon, a huge thank you and a welcome to the Discord servers, Austin, Ashley, Trey, Logan, and Robert. Uh, Nick, anything from you? Follow us on social. Damn it. Come on. <laughs> Come on, guys. No, seriously. Our, our YouTube has has grown uh, pretty dramatically over the last month or so. Uh, obviously, we're putting up more videos uh, weekly, but uh, seeing a, a huge amount of follower growth. So, you know, the London is Blue podcast on YouTube and then at London Blue Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Yep. We're on the hunt for 8K on YouTube. Uh, all right, so let's go ahead and move into the the match in Munich. So Chelsea's performance in the Champions League this season is what we're going to expand it to because who wants to talk about this match? Uh, so Simon Johnson of The Athletic, uh, former guest, has tweeted out, Chelsea go out in the last 16 of the Champions League, 7-1 on aggregate. The tie hasn't really told us anything we didn't already know. The squad needs work. The transfer window will be used to improve it. Bayern are a different level. He then goes on in the second tweet says, You can argue CFC have been in steady decline since winning the Champions League, which was last throw of the dice in many ways for that era. Used to reach last four or used to reach the last four almost on an annual basis. Last time they placed the semifinal at this level, 2014 telling. So again, I don't know, Dan, if or I guess I can go to Nick. I mean, Simon Johnson's kind of just taking a long-term approach of the last, you know, essentially eight seasons in the Champions League, which sadly we haven't even been in it every one of those years. But uh, yeah, I mean, those knockout round runs are not a thing as of late. No, I mean, he summed it up perfectly, right? And I think that melancholy feeling that you had heading into yesterday's match was kind of a result of just kind of knowing where we are uh, as, as of today. It doesn't mean that next season's going to be the exact same or that we're, we're not going to reach the level. But, look, I mean, Chelsea walked into Munich, a, you know, a team that has not lost in 18 straight games, by the way. Uh, so they're quite good, uh, as it turns out. And without, you could argue, five of our six top players. And I know that no one wants to hear this because I heard it yesterday on Twitter. I don't think it was remotely a terrible performance from Chelsea to lose 4-1 yesterday. I think we created some chances. You know, we were we showed some youthful enthusiasm. There were obviously a ton of mistakes at the back. But I think the first leg against Munich was easily the most comprehensive defeat of the season. I mean, they outclassed us in every single way. Yesterday wasn't the same. Um, and so, you know, kind of expand the aperture here, Grant. I mean, wh what are your thoughts on... Chelsea in the Champions League is is this a an area where they have to go further next season to kind of prove Simon's theory about a decline, Ron? No, I think Simon's onto something. I mean, it's not just you know the the lack of semifinals, but I mean we haven't won an away Champions League tie since that that win against Benfica in the in the year we won in twenty twelve. So I mean, yeah, it's been a it's been a decline for quite a long time. 
um, obviously with the whole generation changing. But I didn't really have high expectations in the Champions League this season. I mean, despite other people's thoughts about finishing seventh or sixth in the league, I, you know, I was aiming, I was hoping we'd get a top four finish. But in the Champions League, I didn't have the highest hopes. Um, I mean, I was looking before we started the campaign, um, I sort of collected some information and we had uh, like 10 players or something that hadn't even played, you know, more than a, more than a couple of Champions League games. Um, even some more experienced players that you'd, ex, you know, that you would have expected to, to have a bit of experience. Um, you know, guys like Barkley, he'd never played a Champions League game. Um, you had Jorginho and Kante, six games each in their career in the Champions League and seven for Alonso. So, I mean... These are some of our pivotal players that pretty much never played in teams that were regulars in the Champions League. Um, we had a few in, in attacking areas. We had, you know, the Pedros and the Williams and, and the Kovacic's that had, you know, played a lot of games and, and actually won the tournament. But, I mean, besides, I looked at like the first, um, I think, seven, one, two, three, four, the, first, the, the seven most experienced players, if you took them out of the squad, the rest of the squad had under four average um, appearances in the Champions League proper. So, I mean, someone like Emerson had never played a game in the Champions League before this season, neither that Kepa. So, it's not just that our squad is young and all the academy players, you know, obviously going to be at a new level. Um, a lot of those, those sort of mid-20s players, or, you know, around the 24-year-old mark, they also didn't have much pedigree in this competition. So, getting out the group was, I think, a relatively good achievement, especially when we won away at Ajax and Lille. Um, yeah, I can't say I expected anything against Bayern in terms of us beating them, uh, especially with the way the first leg went. And yeah, I think it's a good point. We were, it was just th yeah, thoroughly outclassed throughout. Um, we're missing a lot of players who playing an attack with, you know, Barkley and Mount off, off Giroud. We didn't really have any pace to trouble a team like that. Um, especially a team that defends on the halfway line. If you don't have any pace, you're just going to find the whole game played in your half. So no, no real shocks, unfortunately, this season. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that that's fair. I mean, Dan, when you look back at at least this campaign, right? We had in our group stage Valencia, Lille, and Ajax. Um, everyone kind of expected Chelsea and Ajax to go through. It went down to the wire, right? It went to the last match to get the advancement. And somehow Chelsea and actually Valencia escaped this group because that's what I'm going to call it. I'm going to call it an escape. We didn't advance, <laughs> we escaped. Um, and obviously, our reward for getting out was. Bayern and again we Grant just summated summarized that quite well so again with the group stage and everything like it seemed to be going okay I mean one three drew two lost one but it the stats didn't paint an accurate picture well and you look at some of those matches right it was a, a one no loss against Valencia to start the campaign that that possibly could have been a win um you know, good wins against Lille and Ajax, the, the crazy 4-4, could have been 5-4 victory. So there, there was just a lot of really wonky performances in the Champions League. And I think it was pretty telling the focus that we've had on the, the Premier League and trying to get that competition over the line with just how many minutes were being thrown at the exact same, or mostly the same starting 11 players as we kind of got into the post-restart era, just trying to make sure that we secure this for next season. Because it, when you look at like where we've been at the past couple of years, and this is kind of the, the interesting point I was looking at, Grant, beforehand, is that we had, you know, a, you know, two times in the Europa League, we've had seasons without... Champions League football as well. And just for a club of Chelsea's stature and the expectations, to be competitive, you have to be in the competition year in and year out. And I think the the yo-yoing seems to be, in my mind, I don't know if you agree, the, the biggest impact to why we haven't been able to sustain success. Yeah, I think there's something in that. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, if you talk about young players and they're developing and they're trying to get experience, I think that that has to apply to the coaching staff. And I mean, if you're appoint a young coach you don't appoint them because they're the finished article you appoint them because they're still developing they've shown some leadership or character that you you know you've identified from their playing days in Lampard's case so you hope that Lampard's going to be a bit more polished in the Champions League next season I mean the Valencia game I don't know if you guys remember very well but we uh, we played a back three in that game because we played Wolves in the league game the previous game against Wolves we played a back three we'd won five two um it kind of you know shocked everyone that we'd matched up to Wolves and we've been so good so he sort of rewarded the team to play, you know, to play the same lineup again. And yeah, we we didn't play badly. We had we had that penalty with Barkley. We had a few chances, but 
we weren't really breaking them down and he had to switch it up and he had to take off. I think Zuma came off for, for Giroud after and then we conceded like a minute later. Um, so I think there's, there were a few little mistakes like that that he, that he made. Like, you know, following up a good league performance but not with a plan for Valencia. Um, and then, but then there were really positive results. Going to Leo, he switched to back three. We needed the win. He, he switched to, uh, I think, about an hour, you know, 70 minutes gone around the hour mark. He, he, he switched to 4-3-3 and we came and we won, you know, we came, came through and won the game towards the end thanks to that change. We were great away at Ajax. Um, we played really well. We didn't give them many chances. Um, maybe a really difficult first 30 minutes, but then, you know, Kovacic and Jorginho kind of took this thing out the game and just dominated that area. So, yeah, I think they, they were good signs, but I think yeah, slightly more polished, um, like a coach with a bit more experience in that, in that domain as well will help as well. Um, just getting those plans right. You know, Valencia away as well. You know, we, we started with the back four. Game wasn't going that well. You made a change, took off Jorginho for Emerson, switched to back three, and we kind of lost the midfield. Um, and I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, you, most people know I'm not, you know, I'm not going to like, you know, I'm not sort of afraid of um, calling out Jorginho's poor performances, but in that particular game, it didn't really work. So I think kind of figuring out when to maneuver and when not to has been a bit of a problem for him. Um, so I'm hoping next season with, you know, it'll be a bit more polished. When you lose your first game at home, you, you know, you're kind of always chasing your tail. You, you have to try and win away from home. We did that. So I think that was really impressive. But yeah, I think next season we would expect slightly, slightly more smooth group stage, depending on the draw. And then if we can top your group, you have a chance of going deeper because you're going to play, you know, the Bayerns and the Barcelonas, or maybe not Barcelona at this stage, but that type of side, you know, then you, you're always going to have a chance. You know, it's not likely you're going to make the semifinals if you're playing the best sides straight up in the knockout round. Yeah. So as we continue to, as Nick said, you know, add a little bit of aperture to this, in prior seasons, so last season, obviously, we won the Europa League under Maurizio Sarri, who is now looking for a job. Uh, fresh off the press. Uh, the year before, in 2017-18, we were knocked out in the round of 16 against Barcelona, 4-1. 2016-17, we had no European competition and won the league with Antonio Conte. That was fun. One game a week. Uh-huh. Uh, in 2015-16, we were knocked out in the round of 16 against PSG, 2-4 on aggregate. 2014-15, knocked out in the round of 16 versus PSG, 3-3 aggregate, away goal curse. Uh, that was a rough two years back-to-back, losing to PSG twice. Uh, and then 13-14, we advanced to the semifinals versus Atleti and lost 3-1 on aggregate. And then uh, 2012-13, the year after we won the Champions League, we got knocked out of the group stage, sent to Europa, and won it versus Benfica. So, uh, again, that's kind of the where we've been uh, since last winning it, Nick. And it feels like on top of the lack of experience, which Grant talked about a little bit earlier, and I actually probably just didn't realize the fact that like even Keppa was a debut Barkley was a debut established players maybe in the domestic leagues but nowhere close in, in the Europe league um it's just it came down to squad depth as well for this team and and obviously this season specifically has been a problem but overall in the last you know handful of seasons we know that Antonio Conte really didn't use his bench we we know that you know Mourinho didn't really use his bench Mourinho sorry did a like for like every single time he used his bench but it was only the same players so I mean Chelsea really haven't had depth this season or in a while I mean I remember we used to say you need to have two strong 11s to really compete in Europe I mean, it's been a long time since we've had one and a half strong 11s yeah I, I mean I think that point is is Really well taken, right? You, you looked at Bayern's squad yesterday. I mean, they're they're just stacked, man. They're, they bring Quarantine Tolisso off the bench, and he scores. You know, it's like you bring Coutinho off the bench. You, like, you, you just have a strength and depth with that squad because they have bought so well, and they've bought Champions League quality players so well that you look at Chelsea, and obviously – Transfer ban was standing and all that stuff. You go back to 2015, we weren't buying Champions League quality players. I mean, we were buying, you know, I think as, as our friend Joe Tweeds has said, we were buying the 30, you know, 30 million pound player who cost us a lot of money, but isn't necessarily at the level that we need to go in advance of the Champions League. So I think, yeah, that, that almost 10 year span, Dan, that we're looking at here signifies to me that there has to be a change in buying if you know if we need to 
or if we want to advance. I mean, if that's a really primary objective of the club to, to win the Champions League again. Definitely, recruitment's definitely going to be a, a big part of that. You know, Grant, as you take a look at it, and you you kind of talked on this point of the the growth of Lampard needed for next season. How much do you attribute the the success or kind of failure to to a side in Europe, especially the Champions League, to to coaching versus players? You know, I think it can vary from league to league on how important maybe one is over the other. But you know, with the multiple games in the Premier League, you know, week, you know, so you have two to three games potentially over a seven, 10 day window sometimes. How how much of that is maybe on Frank this year to kind of improve and how much is it going to be on kind of the, the player improvement piece? Yeah, it's a tough one because, you know, that I think the, you know, the, the cliche that's, that's trusted out is that the Premier League is so intense and difficult that when you go into Europe, you know, you've, you've come off a very difficult game. You have a very difficult game coming up and that's not always the case for teams in their domestic leagues. They can they can rotate their you know their side a lot more, and yeah, I think it was a really really good point. You see Bayern's bench yesterday. I mean, we had a really good little spell, sort of twenty five minutes in the game, and then they bring on Tolisso and Coutinho and Martinez, and you know Kingsley Coman's missing, and they've got Leroy Sané for next season. And yeah, a couple of you know Coutinho and Perisic on loan and so forth. So they you know one or two guys go, but we didn't have anything on the bench. Yeah, we wanted to see a few kids, but you know. Throwing him in the deep end probably wasn't the wisest thing. I would have maybe, you know, a few minutes for each would have been quite nice as the experience. But the game just turned as soon as they got those fresh legs on and that third goal came. And there wasn't a lot Lampard could do. I mean, he had two, his, two senior, his two senior options um, on the bench, Roger Rue and Batshuayi. And bringing them on, you kind of have to go for a like, you know, like for like with Tammy Abraham. Otherwise, you're switching to two strikers and opening up the midfield. So, yeah. Uh, it's a tough question about how players and coaches um how much influence they have how you split that influence um yeah, it's a difficult one i'm not sure i have a good answer for that um i think with lampard yeah he does have to manage the squad a bit better um between the premier league and the, and the champions league i think especially that valencia example because what happened in the premier league game before really had no bearing what the plan should have been for that valencia game and if we lost it with a back three we wouldn't have played a back three against valencia it's just simply he was trying to keep the continuity and he's he's sort of old school in that if you win, you keep a winning side. And, and I think, yeah, I think that, uh, that is, that is an issue. I think if we get those, those team selections, right. And we have that, the, the extra depth that the recruitment is going to bring, especially in attack where we're going to have quite a lot of depth. Then I think you have more option to actually tailor your plan for the opponents you're going to play against. Uh, I think that is a big issue, but it's hard to say with coaching and, and playing because when we won the Champions League, we, we had a squad of big personalities, you know, obviously that were managing themselves. And you see, even when Zidane won the Champions League, in, you know, it's, he's a younger coach at that time. Maybe he's more refined now. But, yeah, it's, it's really difficult to, to spread that. I think I, I won't profess to know the answer on that. But the fact that we are recruiting some, some top players that, ha- that have actually delivered in the Champions League this season um, with Verna and Ziyech, I think that gives us a lot more, a lot more pedigree. And it's not that I don't like the, you know, the young players because Abraham's done okay in the Champions League. He's got three goals there. And, Athens always had a few, you know, bright sparks, in his, especially off the bench in the Champions League. But I think that pedigree is going to make a difference. And those players might be adjusting to the Premier League, so you can kind of ease them into that competition and let them be, you know, play in the earlier Champions League games and balance it like that. I think. You know, it's I, I accept that the Champions League is a different beast as well, and mm-hmm. they're you know a knockout tournament has a lot of luck and things like that. But even Real. Barcelona, Bayern, even Juventus, they've done enough to crack the code to getting to the semifinals. And at that point, they're like, look, you're probably playing a top team um, unless you're Barcelona and you're playing Roma, but you somehow get knocked out by Roma. Um, but mm. for the most part, you got to get to the semifinals and then it's a bit of a coin flip because you're, you're essentially taking on three of the top best teams in the world. So anyways, I think that a lot more can be done and it's good to get like both sides of this is what management can do. This is what type of players we need. And we need to get this recipe right to, to do that. Grant does bring up a really good point that we've talked about in previous episodes though, right? Is is kind of the sticking with the same formation match after match, just trying to find some sort of continuity because the team has been so high and low this mm-hmm. year at times. I, I would guess that Frank and Jody and, and, all, all the staff are going to look at that next year and 
you know, maybe we just play one formation next year. Maybe it's varied by opponent, but my guess is that he's going to reward the most consistent performers and not the most consistent formation. Um, and I think, I think that's probably a key that we, we look for uh, heading into the next season. I think he struggled knowing who his best 11 was week to week. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of different, whether it's injuries or suspensions or whatever that maybe made it difficult, but it it was pretty wild. And like the stats aren't great of like anytime we did a three back, if we did it again in the second match, it was like a guaranteed loss, which is weird, yeah. weird. Um, all right. Well, this will be a fun game. If you had to pick a best performer from our Champions League matches this season, who would you say that would be? Uh, and and again, we've got the the results posted up here a little bit. The Valencia Leo IX IX Valencia Leo group stages, uh, and that I don't know if anyone um, boosted their stats in in the Bayern legs, but. If you had to choose someone who you thought was kind of a standout player throughout these this Champions League run, who would it be? I'm gonna I'm gonna scan the audience to see if someone's looks like they have an idea. I think it's William, right? Go uh, ahead, like, tell us. It, isn't isn't William probably our most consistent Champions League performer? I know he has you know a couple of goals, but I think has stood out to me as like a a top performer for us. Mm-hmm. If Pulisic would have played more, you know, you'd probably throw him in the ring as well. But I think he missed too many uh, of those matches to to be in consideration. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I think that sums up Christian season overall. Yeah. <laughs> hey, what could have been? Dan, do you, are you leaning one way or the other? Uh, you know, I, I, I know he got a lot of crap for not being on sides at time. But I think maybe that was due to Byron playing a really good line and Tammy trying to shade it at times. But I mean, three goals for a first season of Champions League football. Um, I don't think you can give it to a single defender uh, because we had two clean sheets the entire time <laughs> um, and then shipped seven goals versus Byron. So I think that precludes a lot of people. Uh, I actually thought Tammy for a first season in the Champions League uh, was a really nice uh, performance. And it's, a, I think, a good stepping stone for where he can be to help us next season. Grant, who are you thinking of? I'm going through the squad in my mind and really struggling to to pinpoint anyone. I mean, it's not it's a high bar. I think we're admitting yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, the two performances that 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 I can remember that really stuck out. The one was um, Tamori against Ajax away. I remember like the first thirty minutes we were properly under pressure and he had a lot of really high stakes defending. You know, like making not sort of last ditch tackles, but really he was the last line. And if someone had beaten him there, would have been in big trouble. And I think Kovacic away at Valencia, you know, we're struggling in that game. He's dragged us up with a big performance. And I think he was, him and Jorginho also really good away at Ajax. But then you look at the two buying legs and it's it's really hard to argue for Kovacic anywhere, being anywhere near there. I mean, last night he was completely off the pace. I don't know what was going on there, but um, it's possibly one of his worst performances of the season. So I'm really struggling to pinpoint anyone who I thought, yeah, this is a reliable Champions League performer. And I guess it goes down to what Nick said, is that we changed the side so much. Mm-hmm. It's hard to even think which players played throughout the whole run, other than probably other than Kovacic and, yeah, I can't even say. I spilled possibly until until last night. But the team changed so much. So, yeah, it's a difficult one. Uh, I will say that Tamori, who I've been tweeting about, he didn't play these two buying games. And we shipped, you know, we shipped seven goals. And he did play in the wins that we we had at 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 Leo and Ajax, even though he was part of the four forward home. But yeah, those were some pretty crazy goals you can see that free kicks and an own goal from Abraham, a Ziek goal that went in off Kepper. So yeah, maybe he, he's he's up there. It's difficult. Yeah. We didn't really have anyone. I know. As you like go through the squad you like, oh well Kovacic had some bright moments and then he didn't. And then Jorginho is inconsistent. And you go to your strikers like, well, our strikers didn't score a lot of goals. Like they chipped in from all over. I, I mean, I guess like it comes back to you kind of give it to William based on it just because of his consistency. At least the <laughs> level was there. He was there. <laughs> like He didn't do too many things wrong. But I'm sure someone will tweet at us and be like, oh, here was like his you know, his actual breakdown that they pulled the stats. And it's like, yeah, we're, you know, it's very high level. And again, the bar 
is is not high uh, with this. So I think just the fact that we all struggled to kind of come up with someone is probably the best way to summarize this Champions League campaign in general. It was a struggle throughout it, not a lot of consistency, no one that you could really hang your hat on and be like, okay, you're our go-to guy, like get us through this. It just, it wasn't there this season, which is interesting. Um, we're going to take a real quick break. When we're back though, we're talking a lot about the defense or as Dan thinks he's funny, wrote, or lack thereof. Um, so we'll definitely be digging into that. Cool, Dan. Uh, <laughs> Rudiger, Zuma, Christensen, Tamori, everyone. And then obviously, how do we prepare for the season ahead? So a lot more good stuff coming at you. Uh, huge thanks to these sponsors for supporting the show financially. And we will be right back. All right. Defense or lack thereof. Credit D. Dormer on the socials. Here's the stat. Opta Joe. I like how you're leading off with the power stat going into this. 79. Chelsea conceded 79 goals in all competitions in the 1920 season, an average of 1.44 per game, their worst ratio in a season since the 1990-1991 campaign, which was a 1.64 goals per game conceded rate. Uh, Problematic. So (laughs) there's that. And and we've if we've like listened back and learning more about the nineties, not great. Not a great comparison, Nick. <laughs> not a notable year for Chelsea. I'll say that. Um Yeah, I mean, the more that you dig into the stats this year and and just, you know, to to take the, the dormer level view of the season, it's it's kind of a miracle that we escaped with top four. And, you know, it's if not for a fair amount of bad luck going against us in the FA Cup final, could have possibly won a trophy and clearly are not going to win the Champions League conceding as many goals uh, as, as we do. So, Grant, I'm I'm going to pass the ball to, to you on this one because I know that you've been kind of tweeting about it for uh, the last uh, whole year, it seems, uh, at this point. But it, it is it's an incredible amount of goals to ship for a team that does have some experienced defenders. I mean, I think that let's blame the, you know, youthful exuberance excuse only really works in attack for this team. Maybe uh, whereas the defense is, is filled with a lot more veterans. Yeah. Um, I don't really know where to start. I mean, I think I've been tweeting so much because I can't actually put my finger on it. And I think we know that defending is a, you know, as a team function, it's not just about the defenders. And people point, obviously, to last season, we had a pretty good defensive record, um, especially in the Premier League, because the Europa League, you know, you play weaker sides. So looking at trying to compare our defensive record in that competition, it's not really a fair comparison. But in the Premier League, we were much better defensively. And we had Rudiger and David Luiz for most, for almost the entire season playing as a centre-back pairing. We didn't have any other defensive midfielders playing that were protecting the defence. Um, we didn't have any new fullbacks. We didn't have a different keeper. So... People will point to that and say, well, it's just Lampard's bad coaching or, or what is it? You know, like that's the that's kind of the the sentiment or the narrative that's that's going on. Um, you see guys like Jonathan Wilson writing about Lampard not being able to organize a team. Um, even from like the first or second game, which I was pretty unfair at that stage. But it's difficult. But I, I did say to you guys, I wanted to talk a bit about Rudiger because I don't think any of us think he's had a great season. I mean, we've seen him make a lot of mistakes. Um the nature of the mistakes is also probably the problem. You know, you kind of see him mishitting a clearance and someone finishes it off and it looks a lot worse than making a little error that no one's really noticed. Um, but of the central defenders we have, he's the only one that's actually had a, a reliable campaign, in, like in his Chelsea career. Under sorry last season, he played pretty much the whole season until he got injured. The defensive record was really good. His performances were excellent, especially because he wasn't being protected by, you know, two giant defensive midfielders making him do prep, you know, pretty much nothing, or he wasn't the, the sort of organizer like Terry who could kind of pull Espeliqueta near to him and Matic near to him and actually do a great deal. He was pretty exposed and he had a great season. Um, his first season, Conte's second season, there was a run around December. I think he had six or seven clean sheets in his performances in a row, um, even though he was but you know in and out of the side, so it wasn't seven games in a row as a team. So I think he's actually got more of a track record of performing well, even if I did have doubts when he arrived, if he's an actual back four defender, you know, he seems a bit more suited to the size of a back three. He's quick, he's not the tallest, not the, not great in the air, but quite strong, you know, going to the channels, he's pretty good defending there. 
So, yes, he's had a terrible season. I don't know if his season's been any worse than someone like Christensen. Um, he certainly kept more being sheets than Christensen this year, and he's, you know, he was out for most of this, you know, the first few months with, with his injury. Um, so I still have some hope for him to redeem himself next season. He's got two years left in his contract. So I don't know what you guys think, but it might be, you know, make or break next season for him and Christensen if they hang around with two years left each on the deals. Um, if we can afford to actually go into the season with that situation, or we're going to renew one of them. But he's actually got a better track record than, than Christensen and, and Zuma, to be fair, too. I mean, yeah, albeit with injuries, but he's the one with the most pedigree and you'd expect that he's the most experienced. I don't know what you guys think. I mean, I think we can all agree at a pretty pretty poor season in general. I think I think a lot of the idea is just that we're our defensive core just isn't at the level in general where we need. So it's like we're expecting these guys to be playing like we have John Terry and Ricardo Carvalho again when they're not. But that's the level we want. So I think it's really a matter of assessing the the center backs and saying, all right, we need to find reinforcements somehow. And it sounds like Frank's going to have to sell half the loan army to do that. So if he can do it, it's who can be a good partner to hopefully someone better. Uh, And I think, you know, it's fair part. Like Rudiger, as far as like an international in the German team, uh, his time at Roma coming here, like he had a lot of like, big match, good size team experience. Um, and, you know, I think it's interesting that, you know, last year to this year is so different. The systems, the styles, what they're needed to do. You talk about Rudiger and Lampard. It kind of seemed like didn't get off to a great start together. Rudiger's like, I'm healthy. And Lampard going to his press conference be like, Rudiger's injured. And you're just like, <laughs> what's going on here? All right, this is a little weird. Um, and it could have just been Lampard protecting him so he wouldn't come back right away and get injured again. It could be as simple as that. Um, but, you know, Rudiger, like Christensen, like Zuma, like Aspilicueta, have played in the back four, have played in the back three, have played in multiple positions in the back three, in the back four. And the lack of consistency has really struggled for the back line. And at least from my standpoint, Dan, we always quote the top teams of saying they have a solidified defensive unit and lineup and they play week in, week out. And Frank knows that. And like, he knows that the solidity and the cores we've had in the past, he just abandoned it for the season. So maybe it's a learning process for him or he had an idea he wanted to try. And now he has data to make new decisions based on that. But it was really weird to just see just how, I mean, we couldn't predict a center back pairing all season. Like, if you wanted to fail, guess what our defensive lineup was going to be every single week. I mean, Emerson played yesterday. When is the last time we saw Emerson? Well, it took Alonzo being suspended to force Emerson back into the the starting line. And Emerson injured, right? And that, but that's the point. How wild is that? Well. it was it's twofold, right? Because you didn't know if you were going to get a back four or a back three. And then you didn't know, was Asby going to be the left back this time or was he going to be the right back? And how would then Frank sort everything around it? You know, we saw Reese you know, getting back into fitness at the beginning of the season. And then he kind of gets a chance to, to go into the right back spot, which brings Asby over to the left. And then you're trying to figure out it's almost a whack-a-mole situation where they were allowed to run until a mistake was made. And then Frank was very quick to pivot to the next defender and try a new solution or a solve. And it didn't help that Keppa was also our goalkeeper that probably did not instill a ton of confidence in any of our defenders this season. So uh, it's a multitude of issues. Uh, I love the fact that you were kind of pointing out, Grant, that's also, it's a team effort as well. A lot of times when you see, uh, Jorginho maybe not making the run back at pace. Kovacic maybe kind of gets dispossessed in, in the wrong area of the pitch. Really puts a lot of pressure on those defenders, especially when we're trying to keep everything pushed forward and compact. That really then it becomes, in my mind, a, a foot race. And, you know, just when you look at some of the pace of our defenders, Alonzo or, you know, Aspi, uh, really maybe struggled occasionally in those positions. Then you have either Zuma or Rudiger left to kind of be in a foot race against uh, some of the Premier League's best. Hasn't always. Uh, netted a positive result. Yeah, look, I said I said after the I think it was a Sheffield United defeat. You know, we 
we had that disaster first half and, and at half time we, we changed formation and we went to a back three. Rudiger came on and played in the middle of the back three with Zuma to his left. I mean, that was the first time we'd seen that all season. Just really a strange thing to see because, I mean, I think most of us know Zuma is probably not super comfortable on his left side. So if he's playing on the left of a of two central defenders in a back four, that's one thing. But playing on the left of a back three is, is really going to expose that. So I just I can't really understand the thought process of all the changes. I mean, the start of the season, we had Zuma and Christensen. Zuma on the left, Christensen on the right. Then Tamori got his debut, played on the right um, next to Zuma. And then the next game, Tamori played on the left with Zuma on the right. And they had that long run of games where they looked really good together. Um, we had the FA Cup final with Zuma playing on the right of the back three. That happened only once the whole season. He played against, the, in that Valencia game, he played on the right of the back three because, um, you know, Rüdiger got injured in his first game back at Wolves. Um, so basically, Rüdiger goes left centre-back, right centre-back, left of a back three, right of a back three, middle of a back three. All the time, he's always the one moving around. Christensen always on the rights of the two central defenders or in the middle of a back three. So he's he's got a lot more consistency for his own game. Rudiger's got to change. Um, yeah, it's just, I don't really understand using all these. If you're going to change your defenders, and that, that does happen because centre-backs are hard to distinguish which, which two are the best two. Um, it's not such a big thing to rotate, but I think you try and keep the consistency. And for all Sari's faults, he did that well because... His, his two centre-backs were, were David Luiz and Rüdiger. And if Christensen came in, he played in the spot of the one guy that was being rested. So the other guy got to stay in his same spot. And it worked better because at least, you know, one guy knows his, knows his angles, knows the position. The guy that's the rotation option moves into the other spot. And you have least consistency in three positions. But if you make one change at centre-back and then you have to switch both guys' roles, and then maybe you make, you make two and you have to switch Aspie to the left, you're kind of changing the whole back four with with one with one or two changes and then it's really disruptive um it's the same as if you started at the back three and go to a, go to a four then you if you're just taking off let's say the middle center back and the others just drop into the same positions it's not too much of a disruption but when you've got to move everyone around and you've got to you know you've got to move zuma from right center back to the left of the back three or whatever it may be it just it's it's just too much so yeah you need consistency and selection but i think just some common sense things that actually disrupted us too much within games, I think, was a, was a big deal. The FA Cup final, I mean, I didn't see any reason why Christensen couldn't play on the right to the back three in that game. I mean, we know that Zuma is not the best on the ball, and if he's going to play on the side, he's going to give him, they're going to give him the ball. See, they're going to say to him, have the ball, you can't hurt us, we're not going to even close you down. And he's, he couldn't do much with it. And he's played there before with Antonio Conte. He didn't impress. He was loaned out the next season. I know he was just off his, off his knee injury. But I just didn't think it made sense. We had one injury in the game with us, Piliqueta, and now we've changed two of the back three. So we have a whole disruption. I think if you just say, okay, it's a final, we've put Christensen in there, plug him into the gap. We have no disruption. We can maybe rejig it at halftime if needed. I just think some of those things were a bit, a bit strange. Like almost unnecessarily disrupting us from... Not a fun, but not any real game. Uh, and, and I think the the last point I'll make on this before we transition to Tamori, because we know there's a lot to talk about there. It Frank was kind of damned if he did, damned if he didn't this year a little bit with some of the subs that he made from match to match. Typically, you know, early Mourinho side, if he brought in someone to the to the side who wasn't playing regularly that person would reward him with a massive performance, right? And and really kind of show his quality. I don't think Frank really had a whole lot of that this year. And so it kind of probably caused more uncertainty in in selection than than was maybe necessary. And, you know, it's not to say that players didn't impress or that, you know, that didn't kind of shock us at times, but it wasn't a consistent delivery of all right, you know, Christensen, it's your time again. Go in and, and really show us something. Um, I didn't really see that. So, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting point on the rotation. Well, yeah, I think touching on the Tamori thing, which is really interesting um, because it is hard to explain for a lot of us as, as we looked at it. The beginning of the season seemed to be getting a lot of minutes, earned trust, looking well, had an injury, and then has yet to be seen again since. So, um 
yeah, I guess, you know, Grant, we're pretty literally ripping this off your Twitter, but you essentially said you'd be surprised if Tamori's at Chelsea next season. He's clearly fourth in the pecking order and simply needs to play. I really don't understand how he has fallen so far out of favor after a few games while others get so many more chances. Uh, Tamori, 38% of the Premier League minutes played. His first start in 18 Premier League matches, 1-23 in all comps. He was injured for six games. That was in a back three, bizarre, at Bournemouth. And he wasn't great, but he's basically out of favor after Arsenal way where he played 25 minutes of his 59 at right back. Uh, then lastly, you just said Chelsea have won away at Leo, Ajax, Wolves, Southampton, Burnley, Watford, Spurs, and Arsenal this season with Tomori starting at center back. Without him, the side leaked heavily at Man United, West Ham, Sheffield United, and Liverpool. He's far from perfect, but so much ability. And I think that's interesting. So... For from your perspective, is the Tomori thing? He needs game time um, on loan, or do you think he's like the Chelsea grade now? I think he's going to end up going alone. I think, but I'm not certain, of course. But if you're not playing at all, it's really difficult for a young player to develop. And I think we all know the defense is is not solid enough that there couldn't have been some games for him to step in. Um, you know, Christensen played in that Everton game where we we got destroyed by playing against two strikers with lots of crosses against Duncan Ferguson's team. And he, Christensen kept getting games. He kept getting more opportunities. I mean, I, I think it's three clean sheets in 27 starts for Christensen this season. Um, I just, I understand he's a weird player because when you watch him, he's really elegant. He's got all the tools to be a top centre-back. You just watch one game and you're like, oh, you know, a week ago you'd kind of written him off and now he's back in favour. And you can understand why he's being persisted with, but I don't really understand why it doesn't apply to Tomori as well. He he performed well when he got games. Then there was that Arsenal game away. He played on the left or back three with Emerson as the wing back. And I think it's pretty much pretty much assumed that for us to play a back three effectively, you need Marcus Alonso on that side. He played behind Emerson. Lampard makes the change in the first half, brings Jorginho on four. For Emerson, he has to rejig the whole back four. So Tomori goes from left centre back in a three to right back in a four. As Piliqueta goes from what's it, uh, right wing back to left back. Um, it's that's massive disruption, but it worked. But Tomori, of course, he didn't do very well at right back. Sorry, Glamty came on and made a big impact, but he's kind of just been completely out of the picture since then. I, I don't really understand why he had that hamstring injury before the before the restart. So you know, for a few games, you can understand he's not going to he's not going to start. It's a risk. Um, but they've been chances to give him a few minutes there and there. We've had a few comfortable results. Yeah, I just, I just find it baffling. Even more so before the restart, because you're just completely out of the picture. I think generally there have been two centre-back pairings that have looked pretty good this season. And the best one has been Zuma and Tamori. They suit each other. They're both quick. Zuma looked better on the right of the two, and Tamori's pace on the left was perfect, covering behind Alonso. I mean, I remember saying at some point that Alonso was kind of, he looked like his Chelsea career was over. Emerson was the first choice in the start of the season. But then Tomori plays behind him. And it's kind of like he's brought, breathed new life into Alonso's Chelsea career because he's covering that channel that everyone exposes when Alonso is playing in a back four. So, uh, yeah, I really do find it strange. That partnership looked the best. After that, the Zuma-Rudiger one looked pretty solid as well. They kept, a, they kept quite a few clean sheets, four clean sheets um, in four starts. Um, where they had the Liverpool-Everton game before the restart, the Leicester game afterwards, and I think the Norwich game, if I'm not mistaken, on the fourth one. Um, so we had two good pairings, and we, we just barely used them. It's, I don't, I can't explain Tamori being left out, but having said that, people will point, you know, maybe he's not training well. Um, generally, players, you know, generally players don't play because they don't deserve to play. Generally, that's the case, but it, it is baffling. We won't know the truth, and I don't... Maybe Lampard's gone for more experienced players, taller players that he thinks can defence crosses better. Um, I mean, I can understand him not playing Tomori and Rudiger together, and they've only played, I think, 45 minutes as a pairing. Um, they actually started in a back three against Southampton, and then he took off Zuma at half-time. Because, I mean, those two are the, probably the, you know, the two least dominant in the air, and you're playing them together, you're a bit vulnerable. But, yeah, I, I'm baffled. I'm I literally can't yeah. find a reason for it. It's just strange. I, I think this is this is one of the more interesting youth stories of the season, right, guys? Because I, I think you can make a strong argument, even though Tammy got off to such a strong start at the beginning of the year, that Tamori was maybe the the one that we were looking at and going, oh, 
okay, well, this is very interesting. If, if we can pluck a top young center back from loan and bring him back to the team and have him kind of help lead, you know, because he definitely is a leader uh, on, the, on the pitch. I would agree with Jan, uh, Grant's assessment of the um, kind of the top pairing. To me, it kind of fell apart for him when he started having back passing errors like a little bit through kind of the midway point of the year when he was kind of consistently uh, missing key passes. But given the amount of chances that Zuma and Rudiger and Christensen had along the way to try and prove themselves and the fact that they are already supposed to be kind of experienced professionals, it did shock me, Brandon, that Tomori wasn't given the same chance maybe. I mean, he was really put in there due to injury at the beginning of the year and earned his spot and then completely was frozen out. Yeah, look, I think that's fair. I think we have to, there's a lot of, you know, conversation. We we praised Lampard a lot of meritocracy, yet this might be the one position that he didn't. And to Grant's point, there's probably something else there that we don't necessarily have the information on because it just doesn't make sense based on everything else that was going on so what what's interesting though is there are other players who've gone through poor performance spells this season i mean look at the way that lampard kept the faith with tammy and tammy eventually ends up coming good comes back from restart maybe a little inconsistent but finds a way to start getting the performances or the goals out of him the way he managed christian uh um Christian Pulisic earlier in the season, uh, getting him into a place where he could perform. You look at the way that Reese James, how he found a way to get him integrated in the side, kind of worked through maybe some difficult performances. So very clear to me, at least, that Lampard has the ability to help maximize kind of the performance of a player or manage them into a position where they can be successful. But I think to the point that Grant made, it's just very curious that Tomori was the one who came out like a rocket ship and has found himself just basically decommissioned for the majority of a season. All right. Well, we need to continue moving on because uh, we, I think this is where we can get a lot of information from you, Grant. And this is the a great part of it is the season's not over. The next season's going to start, but there's only 35 days from from that point of ending to starting. And so in your experience, um, you know, we'd be I'd love to to dig into kind of Chelsea use tweet to you and let you kind of respond just on the pod and go wherever you want with that. Is that obviously when a season ends in May, resumes in August, teams know they're going to get X amount of weeks off. Here's what your your workouts are going to be on your own. You're going to come to us and this is what we're going to do for the you know month or whatever. We're going to have some friendlies and things like that that playbook is completely thrown out the window now and they have to start over. So how should, in your opinion, and again, with your your elite background in, in doing a lot of this stuff yourself, um, how do you think Frank and the club should be looking at setting up the, the preseason and postseason workouts uh, so that they can try to be as ready as possible as of right now, September 12th? We know Frank is lobbying that to be pushed back for Chelsea for obvious reasons. Um, and, and Chelsea's tweet was, Grant DeSmit, uh, 35 days, give or take, until the new season starts. How much time off are you giving the group? And how are you approaching a three- to four-week max preseason? Yeah, I don't envy the coaching staffs of any of these teams, especially because there's an international week in early early September, which is absolutely <laughs> lun- it's absolute lunacy. I mean, England are playing, I think, Denmark and um, Iceland or something in this, just before the season starts. Um, and, of course, all the teams will be playing. So it's more like three weeks until until that international week. And I, I don't think there's there's anything you can do except accept, just accept that you're going to have a very, very strange start to the season. The one thing I would say is that there's not going to be a definite answer. Some of the clubs will have a very short break. They'll come back. They won't have lost much fitness and they'll probably start the season relatively well. But those players aren't going to be fresh in a few months, um, a few months into the season. If you give the players a lot more time off now, they lose a little bit of fitness. They come back. They don't need to do a lot of conditioning to get it back. Um, but they will be fresher. So in my reply, I said, I'd probably say, you know, give them two weeks off and train for three weeks. But with international break, a lot of the players won't be with the, with the club. Some will, will, you know, will be back at, at Cobham training. Um, yeah, it's difficult because I have been pretty outspoken about 
the, the injuries this season and what I, I guess, and it is only a guess, is overtraining. Because none of us at the training ground, we have no idea what Lampard does. All we know, they could be, you know, playing, you know, head tennis every single training session and having more off days than we are. We, we actually have no idea what they do. But generally, you have to read between the lines of these things. And even when he came in early in the preseason, they had these training diaries on the official site explaining what they were doing in the training sessions. And you kind of read between the lines on that. You read between what he says in the interviews. Um, you watch little videos of them training and you just kind of think, well, this is a Tuesday session. They're doing conditioning. How does the week look? You, you sort of just you take little tidbits, a little bit of information, and you apply it to the knowledge you have of that, of that area. And I mean, I'm not an expert in conditioning. I've done a lot of courses to try and upskill myself on that because I think it's often easier for a coach to learn about conditioning than it is for someone from outside sport, a sports scientist necessarily to learn about football and how it applies to, you know, how their science applies to football. So a lot of it is based on assumption and some conjecture that I'm, I'm using, but it does seem that Lampard favors a fitness heavy type of training. So in preseason, they did a lot of double sessions. They did a lot of, a lot of running. There's an article, Tammy Abraham saying, um, you know, as in tongue in cheek, that they hated the training. They hated him because he was making them run so much. Um, so it's clear that he worked the players really hard and that's what he liked as a player. We all know he did loads of extra sessions, you know, doing, you should call him, putting, you know, putting on his spikes and doing, you know, doing these shuttle runs. And it is a concern for me that he thinks that all players need this or, he, or if you want his team to be like him, they all need to train this way. And we've had a crazy number of, of muscle injuries this season. The thing is, though, as I said, when, you, when the schedule was busy after the restart or even when we had that Champions League run, we didn't have a lot of injuries because you play a match, you play a match, you recover and you play another match. You don't have any time to train. The players are just getting rid of their fatigue from the previous game as best as possible and they play again. And it's why teams that have like tiny squads often just don't have any injuries it's because the coach knows he can't overtrain the players. He doesn't have to worry about lots of different players, um, you know, their training plans because everyone's playing and they just play and recover and play and recover. And that's, that's fine. You don't, usually players don't get injuries from that. What does usually, usually lead to injuries is if they haven't put the fatigue of a match to bed, they come back to training and they get worked too hard and they start the next match with some fatigue already. And you can often see, you can often just see it in players that they're not fresh. You can see that intensity in their progressing is not there. And I think the most damning like evidence of all the little tips that you put together, and it's circumstantial, you know, that you kind of pulling bit you know, little bits of interview and quote, is that when we've had full weeks to prepare and you'd expect us to look really fresh and you know pressing like crazy, we've looked really flat. And that would happen from Sheffield United early in the season. We we had a full week to prepare and then we just we weren't pressing at all. Um, and if you look at, like, I don't use a lot of data, but I know that there's a playing styles, um, a playing styles uh, sort of formula that opt to have. And they can they basically say how often you're winning the ball in the other team's half. And in that Sheffield United game, there was absolutely no high pressing. Um, and we had a full week to prepare. There's no real reason for it. The FA Cup final, a full week to prepare. The players, you can see, yes, they've been worked hard in during the, you know, during the resumption, but it did look like they, They'd had a couple of really tough conditioning sessions. We weren't, there was no intensity in our play, even from someone like Mason Mount, who you usually see pressing like a, <laughs> a madman. And then we have two muscle injuries in the game as well. And all this information together does make me think that there, there is a, a bit of a problem there. And that doesn't mean he can't change and he's not great at all the other aspects. It's just, this is what I think is happening. And it is a worry for me that with a short preseason, he's, he's going to work the players into the ground for two weeks and we're going to start the season with a few injuries. Who knows? Uh, that's, that's what I'm guessing. But the fact is we aren't at the training ground, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to profess to know exactly what's going on. Um, but the proof is generally in the injury record. You have lots of muscle injuries. The players are being overtrained. That's generally the rule, the rule of thumb. And one of the things, in addition to that, that Frank will have to solve for in, you know, just the muscular issues, but also trying to figure out how we're going to integrate not, you know, at least two signings, if not more, depending upon how much we believe and put faith in some of the, the rumors that are out there. Um, so we've got Ziek in, we've got Werner in, they're already training with the team right now. So they're definitely going to have a leg up. How... 
How challenging is that part going to be? Is it going to be more, in your mind, Grant, the experience that these players already have at an international and, and kind of top league level that they'll be able to integrate in quickly? Or that you would expect Lampard to maybe ease them in to the start of what's probably going to be uh, you know, an off-to-the-races Premier League season once again? Yeah. Look, generally, there are exceptions to this. But for players to actually understand each other, they have to train together. And they have to play together. When you have injuries, that immediately breaks that. So yes, you must matches, but if you're not training together, you're not building that that understanding and chemistry between the players. So if he, even with the short preseason, he's not going to have much time to work with them. So having these maybe three or four weeks that or three weeks that Ziyech and Werner have been training with the squad is is really beneficial. Firstly, they're not going to lose too much fitness, so you might not work them as hard, thinking that they haven't played in all these months. They get a chance to get to know the surroundings. It's pretty much a low-pressure environment. There's no games for them to play, so they can train quite hard. They're fresh. Um, I th- my guess is that that um, Timo Werner will go straight into the team because he's played in the Bundesliga. He's played under a very intense coach already. Um, Ziyech, I'm a little bit less, con- a little bit less convinced that he will hit the ground running. Maybe I'll be completely wrong, and I'll, that would be brilliant. I just think you know the the Dutch league is so different. Um, the Premier League's very intense physical league. Um, I think he might take a little while to settle in. But I did say that about Pulisic. I said it might take him months. And it took him like, what, three or four games of being left out of the squad. And then he came back and he was pretty much adjusted. But I've got a feeling that Ziyech might take a little bit longer to adjust. And I think Werner will go straight into the team. Um, especially because of his, his versatility. You know, he can lead the line. He can play in the front two. He can play off the sides. Um, he's, even if he's on the bench, he's a great player to come on and change the game because of his speed when the game opens up. So I'd imagine that he's going to be, he's going to be integrated immediately and as quickly as possible. Um, Ziyech, and then of course we have, we have if, if Havertz signs, he's coming for a Europa League campaign that could drag on for a little bit longer. Um, you'd imagine he's going to be used in a bit. And that's not such a bad thing. It's a long season. The transfer window closes three weeks after the season starts. So we might only sign players you know, we've played two or three league games already and players are arriving then. Um, it's going to be really disrupted. I just think we have to, you have to play a long game. Don't have to be fully fit on the first day of preseason. Don't have to have all the new signings in the 11 straight away. Um, and I think it's, it's also partly an issue because we've changed the side so much. There isn't that much, there isn't that much for Lampard to kind of, it's, obviously there's a lot to build on, but you can't sort of just be like, let's stick with the same 11 and just put these other players, you know, slowly into the side because we don't have a set of 11. And we could have different backline, we could have a different goalkeeper, we could have a different midfield setup. Um, everything could be different. So we're not necessarily even going to be able to build that much on what we've done this year. We might even have like another, you know, transitional season, as you as they say. And it might take a few months to click. Who knows? Yeah, I think one of the last points on this that I would make is next year is going to be in a really tough borderline shit show uh, scheduling uh, scenario, right? Because you're already starting late. I think the league wants to end around the same time, if not earlier, due to potential Euros uh, heading into next summer. And you're going to have a ton of international breaks in the middle of all this stuff. So if squad rotation wasn't already a, a point of concern or an issue, you would have to imagine with a more condensed kind of season schedule, you know, maybe more akin to what we've seen since the project restart um, timeline, it's going to be imperative that Lampard gets the rotation right next year, because if not, I mean, you can, you can already see that there are burned out legs from the last two months. You know, if you extend that and apply it over the, you know, eight or nine months of a season, that's good. That's going to be really, really tough. Yeah. And, and look, actually in many ways, it's not that different to Mourinho's, um, you know, disaster season because he won the league. Good. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, he won the league, and he he had um he had six week preseason for that for, you know for that season, and then the next year, a lot of players were in the, you know playing internationals, and we had a three week preseason. Players came back not in the best shape, and he worked them really hard in a short period of time, and we started the season just looking in terrible physical shape. Um, some players, okay, I will say, you know, didn't look after them that well, you know, themselves that well. Hazard and Costa came back carrying extra weight, um, but you're, you're kind of always playing catch up. And I just think it's not that 
it's not that important to be to take like 10 days off holiday come back and start the season on fire if we're going to just crash and burn after the break after the mid-season break whenever that might be or after christmas it's i think it might be worth having slightly more of a break coming back even if we start slightly slowly let the signings integrate and then make sure that we're actually from the in the third or fourth game, we're ready. You said, I'm not saying write off results because you can never do that with Chelsea and it's hard to catch up when you fall behind. But I just mean mm. not, you know, go kind of balls to the wall straight away and we end up with loads of injuries and we drop points later on because we, you know, we're scratching a team together. Um, it's, it's going to be very difficult. Uh, I, it also doesn't leave much time for, for the coaches to reflect on the, the muscle injuries and see if there's something they can adjust there's certain players they can protect differently. Um, so I get the feeling it's, it's will continue in the same, same vein with injuries. Sadly. Yeah. Well, obviously hope not. We're gonna, you know, hope that a lot of things click. I think I'm interested to see what kind of backroom staff changes may or may not happen this year as well. Just as again, Lampard's a year into it. So he can see what worked, what didn't work. He can, He's obviously making changes to the playing staff, but that doesn't mean uh, backroom staff can't change as well. Uh, we've seen some of that, as all, you know, even during the season. So, anyways, uh, Grant, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Phenomenal guest, really love your insight and knowledge. So, again, uh, you follow him on Twitter; it'll be linked in the bio. But um, I'm sure you've seen him because we retweet enough, and he's got a very unique avatar uh, that you can probably hopefully decode if you're good. So Grant, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me guys. Obviously Nick Nan, thank you so much. But listeners, you're the most important one out there. So we appreciate you again, tweet at us, comment on Instagram. You can email us or join us for the discussion on discord through Patreon. Uh, but that's going to wrap us up. We've got a lot more coming at you in the off season that I put in quotations because it's uh, quite <laughs> different. Uh, we'll be doing our keeps all loan. We'll be reviewing our predictions for the season and so much more. So anyways, that is going to wrap us up for this episode. Again, Chelsea fans, thank you for being here with us. And until next time, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. <laughs>